Good morning. Good morning.、Um, are you having a good week so far? I am. It's pretty early in the week, though. Oh, no, it's not. Well, it is when we're recording, but it's not in reality. It's so confusing. Yeah. We see this being prepared stuff is really,、uh, really confusing. <laughs> it is indeed. So I've got some good news.、Oh. Um, I've had 51 sales for my course. Yay! Good、I'm、stuff. Really, yeah, I'm really, really, really happy with that number. So it launches this Saturday. I'm just excited now to, to get it out there and to get people following it and taking photos. And have you got it all prepared, the whole thing, or is it still kind of. Are you still keeping it a bit flexible to see how, how it goes? Like, like having, you know, having got some feedback after the first couple of emails, you might nah, change things everything's, up. Everything's written. I've got a couple of lessons that I have filed in the maybe write this in the future thing. So,、um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they'll make it in there as a bonus and surprise people, but it's all written because I think that if I hadn't, Have solidified the the outline and written it all, then I'd be feeling just really stressed all the time. So it's、mm-hmm. good to just have it done. And、um, if people basically, if I ever make any changes to the the course in the future and add in new lessons, anybody who signed up to this first、um, run through of it will, of course, get those lessons anyway. Yeah. So lifetime value. So that's my, yeah, that's my highlight of my week so far. Good stuff. And so, what are we talking about this week? Well, we are going to go through 10 things that we think you should consider before you go, make, go it alone, make the jump to freelance the go it alone checklist.、Mm-hmm. Just 10 things that might not necessarily, some of them are obviously quite obvious, but some of them you might not have considered. So, we're going to go through these and、um, both give a wee. Thoughts on it. Do you want to start off with number one? Sure.、Uh, number one on our, on our checklist is to,、uh, is to test the water. So, I mean, this is something that, that, that I did whenever I was、uh, working. I was working for an agency and I, I wasn't yet happy with the work I was doing and I wanted to do some, some different kinds of projects and, and concentrate on my illustrating and I wasn't and mobile apps and I wasn't really getting a chance to do that. So I, I was testing the water and took on some freelance stuff、uh, in the evenings and at the weekends、uh, to just see if, if there was enough demand out there for, for me as a freelancer, if I could get enough work、uh, and also to see how I felt about actually freelancing because there's no point in, in going freelance. I mean, if that's not what you want to do. So. Just kind of、uh, testing the water with regards to, you know, signing contracts with, with clients and dealing with all the, the issues that could come up and invoicing them and chasing payments and、uh, actually working, you know,、uh, on projects、um, that, that I want to work on and, and me deciding what stuff I take on and structuring my, my time and when I work and stuff. So, I mean, all, all of that stuff you can only really discover if it's for you by actually. Testing it out a bit and, and doing some stuff on the side. So I think that's, that's for me, that's kind of the, the, the first step is to just test it out and see. I mean, you might discover really early on that, okay, yeah, freelancing really isn't for me. I don't like the having to deal with, with all of the, you know, talking with clients and, and all of that sort of stuff. I just prefer working within a team or working, you know,、uh, having someone else deal with all that. And I just concentrate on what I'm good at. So yeah. I've seen a lot of people announce on Twitter that they're going freelance. And 
you know, within six months they've taken a job working mm-hmm. for, for somebody else. And that's not a bad thing, but, you know, that's they, they've went through the whole upheaval of starting a business, registering the business and going freelance and then deciding six months down the line, actually, this isn't quite for me. So very important to test the waters. Yeah. Number two, money. Money matters. Just a really quick point about I, well, I opened a bank account for my business for Giddle with a camera and I did that immediately as soon as I decided that I was going to do this um, semi-professionally. And I recommend doing that straight away so that your accounts are not a headache. They're not as much of a nightmare. You're not getting a monthly bill through and seeing, noting what's a personal expense and what's a business expense. So keep those transactions separate to simplify things. Did you open a separate bank account or are you, Mm -hmm. does everything come from the one place? No, no, no. Yeah. I I set up a a separate bank account for my, for my, purely my, my business stuff going on. But another thing with regards to money is you have to think kind of down the line and, and think long-term and what's going to happen if, you know, the, the work doesn't come straight away or you're finding it difficult to, to get clients or if you're, you know, struggling to get a certain client to, to pay your invoice. I would also have, before you go full-time freelance, the, have some savings in place to, to use in those, those kind of rough few early months where, where everything's kind of unsure. Um, but how so, much, how much savings should you have? Should it be like two months, three months, six months, a year? What are you looking at having in terms of savings? I mean, you have to analyze your, your costs and how much it, that's a good exercise as well as to, to, Take a month, for example, and see how how much you spend on uh, on food and your rent and any other expenses you have. And you know, I would I would try and have like a month or two in the bank so that that if you know problems do arise or if you're finding it difficult to to get a client to to pay your bill, then you'll not be really stuck and have to go and look for for a full time job or something before you've even really got into the freelance game. So savings is. Uh, is something you need to think about as well before you start. Mm-hmm. Kind of on a similar note, kind of like the the boring business bits, something that I didn't do was look at what tools I'd need to run my business because all of those tools, and I'm talking about services you use and apps you use, these are all going to add up and cost money. And I'm talking about, you know, the nuts and bolts of running your business. Like for me, I need a pro Dropbox account to store my photos, um, an exposure account, a pixie set to show my clients their photos, um, the Adobe Creative Cloud, that's what it's called, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All of these things all add up on the admin side. I know that you're a big advocate of free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've hired an accountant. You've got your invoicing apps, your business insurance, of course. All of these things add up. And because it's really exciting thinking about you know, starting your own business, you, you kind of forget about the um, the bookkeeping aspect or the cost of insuring your business equipment. So a lot of people forget to tally the cost of necessary services and tools in the beginning. And that's something that you have to be really aware of is sit down and make a list of the tools that you know, tools and services you know you're going to have to employ to, to run your business so that you can get an idea of what that's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And I think you can, it's good to to have a full list of, of everything that you'll eventually need. So a MacBook and, and a, a larger display or uh, if you're going to be yeah recording podcasts for a living I mean you know look at all the, 
the the gear you're going to need but you don't have to have everything from day one so have a full list of everything you're going to need because that's good to know what you're what you're going to need down the line but have a have a list of stuff that you're going to need before you even start so things like you know get an accountant get a get a you know something like a free agent account so you can track all your time and invoice you know from from day one uh whatever you know actual software you need photoshop or or anything i mean it's not that you need a pro dropbox account from day one or anything like that i mean that kind of stuff can wait until you really need it but it's good to have a a full list and and know you know everything eventually you're going to have to spend money on i bet people are a bit guilty though of thinking that they need to spend money on certain things that they don't in fact need i need a bigger a bigger display yeah i can't be a freelancer without having a massive display you know that's that's just not the case you know so it's better to to keep some things for when you're when you're up and running and you've got a good steady income and you can uh, afford those expenses rather than you know rather than using it as an excuse for not diving in and starting the freelance work because you don't have the the latest macbook or whatever so just have the have the basics ready on day one the essential stuff and then keep in mind the stuff you're going to have to eventually eventually spend money on down the line did you start your freelance business from humble beginnings with a wee 200 pound acer laptop (laughs) no i didn't no 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 um by that by the time i went freelance i mean i had uh, my macbook pro and but but i mean i've spent money down the line on like a you know a thunderbolt display and and i had a i had a a wacom I had, um, maybe it wasn't actually, I think it was a Wacom. I had a a Wacom tablet, but like one of the cheaper ones. And then eventually, you know, I upgraded to to one of the better ones, uh, the more expensive ones, you know, once I had a, once I saw that I used it enough uh, in my work and and that I could afford those kind of expenses. But you you gradually build it up and build it up and then you invest in, you know, a, a proper office chair and then a proper desk. I mean, it's something that just has to, has to grow as you grow as a freelancer. Yeah, that's a good point. It's an ongoing process. Number four, deciding on a niche. I have a good quote. Are you ready for it? Oh, hang on, hang on. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. By being everything to everyone, you're nothing to anyone. And that was Stephen Herfst who said that. And something I agree with, I mean, I personally think it's better to niche down rather than cater to everybody and even though that means you're limiting the pool of people that you're appealing to Mm -hmm. you're much more likely to stand out in a small crowd and get noticed than kind of go unnoticed in a much bigger crowd and it's something that I took on board when starting my insurance business um, because insurance is one of the most competitive industries in the world and you have to have bucket loads of cash to throw at marketing to make a dent. So I chose a very niche industry to target, which was freelancers. And that industry is so small that the big insurers won't look at it twice. But I've been able to make a little bit of a a dent in it. Whereas if I was, you know, targeting everybody, plumbers and estate agents and everybody, I really don't think I'd have as much chance standing out. So you know, it doesn't have to be the it doesn't have to be the audience that you niche down on. It could be your skill set. Maybe you get really good at offering just one specific thing to your customer. Mm-hmm. 
and a really great article to that goes into much more depth on the subject of choosing a niche is doubleyourfreelancing.com forward slash niche. We'll put it in the show notes, but I definitely think selecting a niche is the way to go. Do you disagree? No, no, I think I think niches are great. I mean, we 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 with our kids apps, I mean, we target a very specific uh, age range. So the the younger kids, because it's it's um, there, there's room in there for for a bit of variation where the competition once like kids get over five, six years old, then they start playing Minecraft and everything. So it's really hard to compete, compete up there. But we we saw that there was a, there was a space in the market for us at the, you know, really younger kids age group. So, I mean, that's why we, we aimed at that because it was, we could, uh, you know, do something really good for that, that small audience and that, you know, have a, get known for doing, for doing kids apps. And I mean, that's how we got, uh, we got a couple of projects, you know, for being known as the guys who make kids apps that we were referred on as uh, for a for a paid project so i'd say niches are very important to, or, or choose something that you're that you're talented at or that you that you really love doing and and uh, and concentrate on getting really really good at it and being known for it but also in the beginning stages of of freelancing don't be don't be really um closed and and only accept something that's going to be in that niche i mean you can't really afford in the beginning stages to turn away everything. So, I mean, sometimes uh, a project will come along that's not exactly in your niche, but you might be just doing it for the money. And that's, I mean, I've done plenty of projects in my, in the first few months of freelancing that were just for the money. It wasn't anything that I was going to stick in my portfolio or uh, anything that would be particularly uh, that I would, you know, want to show off to everybody or it wasn't anything really in particular in, in my, the niche that I had chosen of, of illustration or anything, but it was a project come, that came along that, uh, you know, that will help support me as I, as I was growing and my reputation as a freelancer. So you can't say no to, to everything, I think, in the beginning. Well, yeah, I agree with that. But I have a weird question, right? So you know how you're an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in itself is actually a niche? Because if I'm thinking about it, not every website, for example, has illustration, but every website does need a web developer to build or a web designer to mm-hmm. design it. So would you say that your skill in and of itself is actually a niche? I mean, uh, web design is something I sort of moved away from and went into to iOS apps. and which So iOS apps is a sort of, I mean, it's pretty broad, but... But it's a sort of niche when it comes to the overall, you know, group of design. So that's something I concentrated on. And then having a, a mostly illustration focused view on on mobile apps, that's that kind of narrows it a bit more and a bit more. And then you the stuff you show off on your portfolio, that's you sh- should show off the stuff you want to do more of. So I put certain things in there and and get I get known for, for having a certain style, but I don't limit it too much. And I have a, like a, a variation of, of things going on there, uh, in my portfolio so that I, I like to mix it up a bit. I don't want to be really just doing the same thing or the same type of illustration all the time. So I think it's, um, you want to choose a niche that, you know, something you can, you can do really well in and have something like a, a smaller, group that you can that you can make a dent in early on but you want to you want to vary it up a bit so it's yeah choosing a niche but having it wide enough for for plenty of exploration and and different things 
Mm-hmm. And what's number five, Paddy? Number five would be analyzing your competition. So, we're, yeah, we talked about, you know, creating a niche there, but you you should look at what else is going on out there, who else is operating within that particular niche that the, that you, you've decided on. And also in the wider, you know, web design, for example, you know, what, what, what kind of competition is going on there, both on a local scale and, you know, globally, what, what's, uh, what kind of competition are you, are you faced with? So I wouldn't worry too much about the competition. I would concentrate more on, you know, getting really good at what, at what you do and getting, you know, getting some, getting some good projects out there and get, working on, concentrate on getting your portfolio looking as good as it can. But it's good in, to keep in mind, you know, what, what other people are doing in your industry, you know, what other people are, are charging, what other people are, are, um, showing in their portfolios or how they're getting work, you know, where are they hanging out? So it's, uh, it's good to keep in mind that there is competition out there and how are you, how, how, what's your unique selling point going to be? But I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, worrying about what exactly the competition are, are doing or comparing yourself constantly to, to other people in the industry. I think it's very natural to do that in the, in the beginning though, just to see, you know, the level of quality out there is like when I first started photography, I didn't, I didn't live in Glasgow. I wasn't in a big city. I was in a much smaller town. So I checked out the competition in terms of standards. Could I match them? Could I surpass them? Yeah. I checked out the pricing, but a quote that I like, another quote, I'm all about quotes today, <laughs> is um, be so good that they can't ignore you. So don't spend too much time and energy analyzing the competition. Just be so good that they can't ignore you. I don't know who said that. Maybe I made it up. I don't know. Number six, beefing up your portfolio. Because if you did do what Paddy did and you tested the water and you took on a few projects while working full time, then then you will be able to launch your business fully with some real life examples in your portfolio. But it's not the end of the world if you haven't done that because you can always create case studies. You could choose fictional or real businesses and kind of build or rebrand a site for them. Or for me, what I did was contact a modeling agency and you can do test shoots with new models. So they'll give you a new model so that you're both getting something from it. They're getting photos to add to their portfolio and you're getting photos to add to your portfolio and it costs nothing because because it's a test shoot, but it quickly adds a few high quality pieces to your portfolio. So there are definitely ways around it if you don't, if you haven't tested the water and have real life examples, there are still ways around it. Mm. That's something that puts a lot of people off that they they want to have a portfolio of work to get them more work, but I mean they haven't they haven't got that work yet or they haven't done enough projects that they can put in there or they've they've been working for a client for years or for for a company for years and they can't really put that work in for whatever reason so i mean there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of ways of building up your portfolio like like you mentioned doing uh, you know these kind of you know sharing you you both get something out of it so the the model gets you know some you know high quality shots and and you get something to put in your portfolio and you can always do side projects you can always work with charities or you can do little case studies yourself but don't get don't fall for the trap of people taking advantage of you in the beginning stages the people who know that you're starting out in freelancing where they'll say oh yeah you know we've got this really great project but we don't have a budget for it but it'll look great in your portfolio 
or it'll lead to more work. Uh, it never does. So I wouldn't get sucked into that where, where people are not paying you for, for your work. There are plenty of other ways you can, if you're going to be working for free, uh, then why not do your own, uh, projects, your own apps, your, your own, whatever your, your skill may be, uh, and fill up your, fill up your portfolio with stuff that you really love doing and show your, your passion in the, uh, in the work that you're doing. Instead of going on to five or people per hour and getting paid 15 pounds to design a really crappy logo for a company who don't value you, why don't you just use that time to, you know, create a, a low, a fictional logo that, that you're really happy with? Mm-hmm. I mean, you may as well not be getting paid if you're getting paid 15 pounds to do that. Gosh, don't get me started on those websites. <laughs> Number seven. Number seven. So this is uh, deciding on your rates. So how are you going to, how, what price are you going to set now? And this can be quite difficult in the, in the beginning stages if you've not been freelancing before. It can be quite difficult if you've never done freelancing before and you're, you're just getting out there and you're unsure kind of what you're, what you're worth and what other people are charging and what, what the industry, where that is, is at. And we've got, uh, we've got an episode on pricing that we'll put in the show notes, but you have to, you have to start somewhere and you have to, yeah, analyze what, what's going on out there and then just pick a price, but stick to it for at least the, the project that you, that you quote and don't be, um, don't be bullied down into lowering your price for, um, you know, if people know that you're just starting out freelancing, they might try and take advantage and, and try and negotiate with you and lower your price. You can negotiate with clients, um, but I would negotiate with um, with regards to time and and what's going to be involved uh, in the project. For the but keep the budget that you quoted, um, keep that constant, and that shows people that you're that you're serious about this and you're not a you're not a pushover. You're a professional, and here's the price that you've chosen. But I think it's also really important to look at how many hours a week do you want to be working. And what kind of lifestyle do you have or want to have? Because I made the mistake when I started out of just picking a random number out of thin air, mm-hmm. when really what I should have done was listed all of my expenses. And on top of that, the hours that I wanted to work and the lifestyle that I wanted to have. And then you can realize, okay, this is the money that I need to make on a monthly basis to cover that. And you can break it down with the hours that you want to work and then arrive at a rate that way. And um you know, it's really good to be ambitious. Yeah, a lot of people want the kind of lifestyle where they can buy a Ferrari. I don't know if Ferrari's still cool. <laughs> I think Ferraris are always cool, yeah. But but it's important to be realistic and to not um, dramatically overprice yourself, especially in the beginning. And also remember that what you charge right now doesn't have to be what you're charging in six months. Because um, I raise my prices every year and I know that you reevaluate your prices a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah, you have to constantly and especially in the beginning you where you're you're kind of working out, you know, where your where your value sits and what what your price should be. I mean, I remember in the beginning stages uh when I was freelancing my my price was a bit all over the place. Uh and and I varied it from project to project and and you know, after a few projects you kind of you kind of see where where your price should be and what kind of range so, I mean, it takes a while to kind of figure out, but it's at a certain point. Yeah, it's a good point you made about um, looking at your looking at your expenses and how much, you know, how much you want to you want to make and what, what lifestyle you want to lead and, and kind of work a, a number out from that. But eventually you just have to kind of 
pick a number to start with and then just evaluate each project as you go along, especially in the beginning on whether that was okay, that was too cheaply priced for the, the work I put in there or that was that was a bit too expensive. I went there. So it takes a while to work it out. Yeah. And um, the next one, number eight, finding your first client. Funny timing because I just um, read a comment today online from somebody who has just started out and they're using the websites like People Per Hour or Fiverr to find their clients because they weren't sure how to, you know, get that first client otherwise. But um, I personally think you should stay away from sites like that because you're going to attract really low quality clients and you're going to make terrible money. And it's just not going to start you off on the right foot mm-hmm. or build your confidence. But that first client can be difficult to land simply because I believe it's a series of small things you do over time that lead to that first client instead of some magic formula of if you do this one thing, you'll land your first client. So that's why I think it's important not to just dive headfirst into being a freelancer and instead kind of lay the groundwork like... um you know, being active on social media as a photographer. Um, that means like taking photos regularly for myself for fun, sharing them on my Facebook page, just being active on on Twitter, building my blog so that when people do come across it, there's plenty of, of photos on there to keep them around and immersed in the website. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer, although I know some people will disagree with me, but I'm a big believer in being everywhere uh, online. So not necessarily having to be active, but being everywhere. I've had job requests through from the most bizarre platforms that I've set up and kind of forgotten about them. But, you know, they stumble across my profile. They, um, they look at my website and it goes from there. So be everywhere. Some people think you should pick two or three channels to focus on. But I would have missed out on big wedding bookings at, you know, £1,000 a pop if I hadn't been on those websites. So at least in the beginning, be everywhere. Then you can see what drives traffic what works and what doesn't and you can kind of streamline it later down the line Mm -hmm. yeah i think being very yeah active on on social media at the beginning or active on websites where jobs are posted uh, you have to at the beginning nobody knows that you're that you're a freelancer and you're not going to get much work coming straight to you so you have to um you have to go out there and look for it so i would be very active and and you know do twitter searches for people for you know phrases like looking for a x whatever whatever your skill set is and you know see what people are are tweeting and who who's looking for jobs and then you know be active and and respond to people so yeah you need to be proactive in the beginning also it's okay to ask for work it's mm-hmm. okay to approach people and and ask for work but anyway oh we're coming we're we're running out of time so number 9 <laughs> building your network one thing, this is something I'm not very good at, but one thing I've come to realize, especially this year from being in the new office space is just how important it is to network because a lot of the people I've spoken to in there who run their own businesses have told me that they got all of their biggest contracts through recommendations from friends or other freelancers. Yeah. So therefore it's a no brainer building a network should be a priority. Yeah, I'd agree with that. My the best projects and the bigger projects I've I've definitely got from personal recommendations from other people I know in the industry. I think that's um when I compare it to the other projects I've had, uh the the most enjoyable ones and the the ones for bigger clients uh, have definitely come through 
people that I know and have recommended me for stuff. So I think you have to, to work on, on building your network and, and going to, going to conferences and being known in the industry and doing stuff, you know, to get your reputation out there, you know, appear on, uh, you know, set up your own podcast discussing your, whatever your niche is and, and, you know, just get your name out there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last one, Paddy. Number 10. Number 10. Settling on an environment. Mm -hmm. Like, should you cut costs and work from home or do you do your best work in a separate office, you know, outside of the house, perhaps a co-working space or a coffee shop? So, I mean, your environment is very important. So this is something that you should get right. And if you do choose to work from home, create a specific place in your house like you've done to make it a work-friendly zone, minimize distractions, maybe hang some nice posters up, make it a place that you like to spend time in. And the reason that I'm focusing on working from home is because, well, with co-working spaces, there's usually a contract that ties into you paying for it for a certain period of time and also an upfront deposit. So that can be a really big financial commitment in the beginning, especially when your cash flow might be a bit of a problem um, or not might not be very consistent in the beginning. So I recommend starting off working from home and then if you fancy transitioning to a co-working space, fair enough. But whatever you choose, make it into a place that you want to spend time working. Mm -hmm. And we talked about working from home a lot last week. So if you want to check out last week's episode, um, all about how to survive working from home, this can be quite uh, there's a good few tips in there that'll that'll help you when you're starting out because a lot of people start out you know working from a spare bedroom or something in the beginning stages to keep the cost down so you should check that out yeah is that us then i think i i have one more kind of number 11 bonus point and that's just Ooh. to to uh to keep in mind that everybody is making it up as they go along so there is no there's no easy kind of road to success where, where you just have to tick all these boxes and then you'll be a successful, whatever it is you're going into, uh, to be a freelancer in the, everybody makes mistakes in the beginning stages and going through this checklist, um, can help you out with, um, it can help make things a little bit easier and, and help you avoid some of the problems, but there will always be, um, issues that, that, that come up and you'll always make mistakes and you'll, you, you know, the first few projects you'll charge way too little or something will go wrong with the client or you'll make other mistakes. You'll, you'll skip signing a contract with someone because you, you thought you could trust them and then they kind of, the, the project falls apart. All this sort of stuff that, that, that happens. I mean, certain things where the, you'll kind of come short with the, with money or you'll misjudge with when one project ends and when another begins. All this sort of stuff that that just happens and you have to, the way to become a better freelancer is to learn from these these things. But there is no easy way and nobody has all the right answers. And everybody who is out there now and is a successful freelancer, they all had to go through these beginning stages and, and uh, make mistakes and, and kind of figure out what worked for them. So uh, you're not alone in the in the the journey and and everybody who it has become a, a great freelancer uh also made all the mistakes that you're making so yeah yeah just kind of be aware that everybody's making it up as they go along those are some very wise words and a good note to end on so you've been listening to the working out podcast you can catch us on workingoutpodcast.com or on twitter at working out show or you can email us at 
uh, info at workingoutpodcast.com <laughs> oh man okay from now on you're doing the outro paddy <laughs> and that's a wrap that's a wrap okay see you next week see you next week bye bye